0: from Podcast One. Previously on Colors. Please, please, okay, please,
1: please, man, please. Man.
0: What
2: you're hearing are the final painful moments of George Floyd's life and his eventual brutal death ignited protest across the country. I'm JJ Green,
3: and I'm black. I'm Chris Corr, and I'm white. Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Iowa originally. Of all the cities in the country, that would have been one at the very bottom of where I would have thought something like this would happen. Coming up on this episode of Colors, the legendary James Brown
2: of CBS Sports and CBS News. He says with racial tension skyrocketing, the nation needs a timeout.
1: Shame on us if we don't embrace this opportunity, to sit down to have hard, frank, Transparent discussions and then follow it through on an ongoing basis to handle it.
2: Simmering racial tensions.
3: Segregation now and tomorrow and forever.
2: Fighting injustice.
1: I have a dream.
2: Conflict looming.
1: The
3: justice. The
2: Brutality exposed. I can't
0: breathe. I can't breathe.
2: The search for solutions starts
0: here from WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.
2: It's happened again. Another African-American man killed in a confrontation with police, this time in Atlanta, Georgia. His name was Rayshard Brooks. This is his widow, Tomika Miller. This is gonna be a, a long time before I heal. It's going to be a long time before this family heals. And I just, like I said, I'm just thankful for everything that everyone is out there doing. And I just ask that if you could just keep it as a peaceful protest, that would that would be wonderful.
0: Because we want to keep his name positive and great. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America with Chris Core and J.J. Green.
3: I'm Chris Corr. I'm the white guy on the show.
2: And I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. I just think it's important to take a moment to tell the families of Tamika Miller and Rayshard Brooks and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and all of the many, many, many other people who found themselves caught up in this storm that uh, our hearts go out to you. This program is designed to improve the situation in our country, and we hope that something will be said here that will lead to that. In our first episode, Chris and I discussed some heavy issues between ourselves to get the ball rolling, but on this episode, we want to open it up to others, and we're going to start with one of my favorite human beings anywhere. I've known him for a long time, an amazing person, but everybody knows him, and everybody thinks he's an amazing person, too. It's James Brown from CBS News and Sports. And JB, we wanna thank you so much for joining us. Um, You have had just a a remarkable career as a broadcaster. Everyone knows you from the NFL today, from your many uh, charitable activities uh, and the community work that you do. We know you as well from the CBS News Network uh, on the evening news sometimes. Uh, So you have a very large profile. And part of that profile is being an African-American man who's successful. And on this program, one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about specifically was um, your views on the state of race in America. I saw a very interesting uh, commentary that you did uh, where you talked about that, your views on that. But I I wanted to see if we could start the questioning, um, JB, with just asking you for your reaction to the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis.
1: Gosh, um, horrible, um, painful, um, and yet it, it's reflective of perhaps uh, the still the third rail conversation in no matter what the circle uh, is that we are engaged in. It's still most painful. Uh, I was very humbled and yet thankful to JJ that the network, as you all well know, uh, it's called you know probably the the wall of the fourth estate in that we typically don't give our personal feelings or deliver commentaries with news reports, uh, but that touched a nerve across the globe and warranted me speaking uh, painfully about what obviously is, what has been for some time, and prayerfully hopeful that we will take advantage of this opportunity to not only nationally but globally confront this situation, have hard
3: and serious conversations to attack
1: what has been going on way too long.
3: Hi, this is uh, Chris in uh, Florida. Um, I you know you're right about that this crossed all color barriers and I think it's what um, has made this occasion become so powerful i'm I'm stunned just like you said JB about how it spread all over the world uh, that there is now there are now protests against discrimination in uh, England, in France. It's just interesting to me how this one occasion in Minnesota has become an international um, episode. I, I, I just, I still can't quite get over that. It's incredible. I don't, I can't think of anything else that's ever been like that. With the possibility of, of when we uh, ended apartheid in South Africa, what would make this atypical
1: is if it were to have been um, that one occasion. Sadly, it's been in existence since. African-Americans were brought to the shores here in 1619. um, And I recalled distinctly and vividly during the civil rights movement, uh, the face of which was Dr. Martin Luther King, but so many others who had been engaged for quite some time, how a similar circumstance occurred when the TV pictures went global, where people could see the police turning on the fire hoses on Women and children and men dressed in their Sunday's finest, uh, peacefully protesting for equal rights, uh, and the police officers were beating the women and men and the kids over the head with uh, their heads with billy clubs. That spread across the globe as well, and certainly um, rocketed, if you will, those issues uh, to the top where it was inclusive, um, uh, ecclesiastical, if you will, in terms of the folks who were involved in protesting for human rights voting rights and the like this is one of those seminal moments as well that i just pray we will seriously embrace it you know uh, in the media we're one of these seven mountains of influence uh as the, the the job market careers are segmented if you will to deal with this from all perspectives and but in the corporate environment we used to have an expression that you cannot expect what you don't inspect, if you don't stay on top of it to track metrically, if you will, what is going on, you fall back into that malaise again to that, that um, uh, um, position of just thinking all things are back to normal. And they have never been. Uh, and it's, it's so important for us that when you look through history and see societies um, that have fallen, that have imploded, typically when there is a moral decline as well and you see this kind of tender box Uh, That only continues to build shame on us us if we don't embrace this opportunity to sit down to have hard, frank, transparent discussions and then follow it through on an ongoing basis to handle it. Look, even going back to the world of sports. So I think back to the many lessons I learned from my high school coach, Morgan Wooten of Damatha High School, who is in the Hall of Fame solely for what he did at the high school level. And he used the basketball court as an extension of his classroom as a world history teacher. And the point that he made that cuts across all silos across every segment of life is that there is no such thing as standing still. That applies in the game of life or in improving as an executive or on any given job. He said that you are either getting better or you're getting worse. We need to get better at this, and that implies a conscientious, sustained effort by all people to work on this problem, to understand the root cause, and to want to root it out. Bravo. J.B.,
2: you mentioned something uh, a bit earlier in your remarks about what we perceive as normal and how things are normal or maybe should be, Um, and, you know, for for those and there are a lot of folks listening who have not climbed the corporate ladder in fact they haven't climbed any ladder they're 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 struggling to get out of their circumstances and they find themselves uh, often you know under the thumb of uh, government and police and so for from from the perspective of someone who's been successful um in many ways you know you have so many a- aspects to your life and your career and that 's a part of the reason why people love you so much is because you um, you know you you climbed uh, up the rough side of the mountain so what what 's the view or what 's the uh, approach that you suggest for those people that are struggling every day who who have trouble when serious problems when they see situations like the one that took place in in Minneapolis and in Atlanta in louisville. And they have trouble deciding whether or not they're going to (laughs) take out their frustrations on the system. So what is your what's your advice to them?
1: Even with CBS and Viacom doing the right thing and running a number of um, PSAs, um, commentaries on the air across the spectrum, whether it's a golf audience, which is typically comprised of people who are decision makers or decision influencers or any other sport, and, and the same as what we've done in news, it is not a one-sided problem. It involves all of, us, all of us, and it's going to take all of us to address it. For those who have been oppressed, who have been marginalized and colonized, look, this, these words aren't intended to be incendiary. They are reflective of what is. I've dealt with them in my career. Uh, I happen to be a man of faith and certainly stand on the truths that I've learned in that to deal with this. But many of us have had to just bite our bottom lip when we see examples or hear examples or are the examples ourselves of that kind of systemic attitude, uh, bigotry, bias mindset that's there. And until people want to come to grips with that, we can have having very frank open conversations that may be hurtful but we all needed to sit at the table together to understand it just as when those who are marginalized or colonized try to express what it is many people will take a defensive attitude and say well you're playing the part of a victim no you no know, please this has been too serious an issue for over 400 years for people to find a, a comfortable excuse and point fingers we need to be at this together to understand what it is put oneself in the other's shoes, and then let's talk about what the solution is. Hey, the solution, many people don't like to hear something as Pollyannish as this, but again, as a man of faith, it still all comes down to love. There's no way that you can legislate people to care for you and love you. You can legislate to try to change behavior, but it does not change the heart and until the heart is changed with an understanding and then people rallying around each other to try to resolve that it is going to continue to be the same and the prescription for success is not a good one if we continue to take that tack as opposed to i was so pleased and heartened to see as chris core referenced about how this um outrage has gone global because people understand. Man's inhumanity to man cuts across all races, socioeconomic status, anything. You know, it, It's a core issue of treating each other with love. That is still the answer, even in the world of sports. My high school coach who I mentioned, Morgan Wooden, John Wooden of UCLA fame, Tom Landry of NFL fame, the best coaches were those who showed respect for their players because they will tell you that the most influential word that you can use four letter word that you can use is love. When you show that kind of respect, people will give you everything they have to make the team, to make the whole better. One of the best examples that I've ever heard to underscore why and how this is a problem that we all need to be engaged in. I've come from the world of sports, team sports specifically, and you know, we're only as strong as the weakest link. We've all heard that expression before a rising tide lifts all ships. We've heard that before. It is a fundamental truth. And one of the best examples I've ever heard is to look at the human body. It is comprised of many different members, but every member of that body contributes towards a fervent, effectual working of the whole body. I remember hearing a humorous example of a, of a pastor who said, go outside, take your little finger, open a car door, slam the car door on your little finger. Because in, in about 10 seconds, your feet will get involved. You'll start jumping up and down because you feel the pain. Your lips and teeth will get involved. You'll start biting your bottom <laughs> lip. Your tear ducts will get involved. You will start crying. So don't tell me that a little finger doesn't affect the entire body. That's what we need to do in a humorous fashion to attack what is
3: a serious problem. Brilliant. The the question I'd like to ask both of you, and that has become kind of the story of the week, is this call to, quote, defund the police. Um, I will say that I a, a lot of my friends and people I know think that that is just a very dangerous and ludicrous thing to say, the idea of defunding the police. But I really want to get both of your opinions or your views on what that defunding the police means and if that's a good thing or a bad thing. JJ?
2: No, JB, you're the guest. You go first, sir.
3: I would need to
1: understand that in a more complete context, uh, because by itself, it certainly doesn't sound like a good idea. And I'm certain it's one element of what hopefully is a proposition for a better, more sensitive, more comprehensive and fair treatment of citizens. On the surface of it, again, having prefaced my remark on the surface of it, I'm not in favor of that as I am in changing the culture of that environment because we cannot broad brush uh, with the same, you know, stroke, uh, everybody in that. But clearly the culture is not working right now. So you can understand why people are reacting with an extreme example. I would prefer because when it is properly comprised and executed with, again, love at the bottom. And that's with understanding that the streets in a very general sense today are radically different than what they were 30, 40, 50 years ago. I would still just want the right, well-trained people in place to do that. So on the surface, no, because I haven't understood what the replacement suggestion is. But I still think that we need that in place with the best people, best trained people and the best attitude and not looking to to be a blue wall of silence to be in place.
2: This is JJ. Um, I don't think that the people that are talking about defunding the police, at least uh, on the top level. You know, the 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 thought leaders behind that whole movement about defunding the police, or the, the brain trust that came up with this idea. I don't think they're, from my perspective, talking about literally defunding the police. I think this is a, and I am not a po- a politico, and you know, this program is 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 apolitical, and we don't get we don't take a side in it. But I don't think that the people who have put this idea forward are actually talking about defunding police departments. I think this is a pretext to start the harder conversations that you both uh, have alluded to that need to be done, that need to be uh, started. And that is, what do we need to fix before we are comfortable with these police departments across the country. Um, how do we deal with uh, the brutality? How do we deal with the mindsets? How do we deal with the lapses in training? Um, you know, the the making sure that these uh, police departments look like the communities they serve and the people in those police departments serve the communities they're in. I don't think that this is a real... Uh, serious move to take money away and stop police from doing what it is they need to do because that's that's just a non-starter because that is a very vital part of law and order in any community and safety and security for all. I think it's actually a pretext to start harder conversations. And if that is indeed the case, then maybe that's what's happened.
1: And J.J., I have to believe 1,000% what you just said is the case as well because the fact of the matter is the status quo cannot continue as it is it is ruining and poisoning an entire segment of our global society if we were to continue with the status quo couldn't agree
3: with you more i have a a recommendation for you for both of you and for the audience listening to this podcast um about a movie that i just saw if you haven't seen it i really recommend it it's called just mercy and it stars michael b jordan and jamie Foxx. and it's the story of a young lawyer played by michael b jordan who takes on the case of a guy on death row played by jamie Foxx. and the guy on death row is going to be executed because he was found guilty of killing a 13 year old i believe white girl Uh, the lawyers convinced the guy didn't do it. The guy, this takes place in Alabama in 1987, by the way. So it's a true story. And J.B., you and I are about the same age. That didn't seem that long ago to us. And um, this, to see what the culture is like and what you both referred to, you got to watch this movie. I don't want to give away anything other than the fact that it is, I was in tears at the end. It's based on a true story. It's extremely well acted and perfect for this time. Well, and Chris, Chris let I hate me to tell spoil you, this. S-
1: s- sadly, <laughs> sadly I would say we as a community and people are way too familiar with this. I am fully <laughs> intimately aware of the details What's was critically important and I say this lovingly for all who are listening. Being tearful about it, being pained about it is a start, but we have been there way too many times already in the past. Now what we need to do is to, as I gave the example about you can't expect what you don't inspect in order to change that. Now we need to be about aggressive, sincere, sustained activity, action on all of our parts to address it so that we don't 50 years from now hear and see and witness and react to the same thing that we know all too well is inherent in the DNA of us as a people. We see it way too often.
3: Perfect.
2: Yeah, That's 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 brilliant, JB. And Chris, thank you for that question. Um, You know, I actually have seen it. And uh, I was going to say earlier that I hate to spoil that uh, for you, but I have seen it. And but the thing that I wanted to leave with you, though, is that I have not personally, but through familial connections, lived that Mm. coming from the South and having people in my family who've been through situations like that in that era Uh, And before, well before, um, you know, I know that story all too well, but it is something, as you say, Chris, that others need to see, need to understand, need to embrace. And as JB said, something that people need to build on to take that next step to move forward. So um, before we go, I just want to ask you, JB, do you have anything you want to add that we haven't asked you about that you think is important?
1: No, Well, first of all, let me just commend you and Chris for having a podcast to deal with real world issues. Uh, And the fact of the matter is, we need to turn the mirror and spotlight on ourselves. We're having a great conversation about something that is exceedingly serious, uh, but I would just hope, and I'm certainly saying this for myself as well, when we look at ourselves in the mirror at night, when we turn the truth of God's Word on ourselves, are we measuring up to ensure that in our own little arenas, and you and Chris have significant platforms with well-known, well-respected names, Are we doing what we can to ensure that the social needle is moving forward because there are all of our kids, uncles and aunts uh, out there who are being impacted and who are victims of this? And you can imagine, uh, J.J. and Chris, with me having connections through my mother, roots in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, that, yes, I'm fully familiar with that kind of activity happening in our family as well. Let's make sure we're doing all we can to put an end to it.
2: Absolutely. Amen. Amen. J.B., thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. So um, as you go, uh, we want to say to you, we appreciate you taking time to to talk with us today. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back again. Uh, And maybe uh, once this COVID-19 situation is done, maybe we can all find our way to St. Pete where Chris is.
3: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) J.J. was just here, so he wants to come back.
1: Hey, you
3: know what? And that is
1: unfair for Chris to have expressed where he didn't have to say where he is, but we're (laughs) looking forward to getting there. Hey, look, we can have a conversation from there the next time, but I truly look forward to it with you both. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, you, JB. Okay. Hey, God bless you guys. God bless you, Chris. God bless you, JJ.
0: Same to you, my brother. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.
4: My name is Lily Quiroz, and I'm a Mexican-American living in Washington, D.C. When I first saw the video and murder of George Floyd, I was angry and sad. And what I'm doing now is educating myself and my family so that the system we live in doesn't treat people unfairly and so that they don't have to continue living in fear.
2: Hello, this is Dimitri Sotas. I'm a white journalist on the radio in DC, and I am watching the nation's first black president, Barack Obama. He is increasingly engaging people online and talking about systemic racism and what can be done to help people of color. He held a virtual town hall event with young people to discuss policing and civil unrest, and he told them to protest and to vote. He suggested there's no either or here. Looking back on former President Obama's two terms, he was very reluctant to speak out then, as he has now. He saw himself as president to all of the American people. I'm curious, J.J. and Chris, whether he's speaking out now because he senses this is a turning point in our culture, or maybe he senses there's a void at the top of the Democratic Party, and he needs to fill it.
0: You're listening to Colors. I'm Chris Corr. I'm the white guy
3: on the show. And I'm J.J.
2: Green, and I'm
3: black. And um,
2: this is our second episode, Chris, and we really, in the first episode, were trying to set the table for a dialogue on race relations, and we didn't get a chance to dig too deeply into some of the heavier issues. Uh, We were trying to set the stage and be inviting and open for everyone. So I've had about a week or so to think about some things, and one of the things that's occurred to me is the idea of racism. And I know it may seem... Uh, you know, pretty ironclad and, and 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 pretty cut and dry to a lot of people. But, you know, I really have thought about that a lot um, because everybody's talking about it now. But I, my, my thing is, wh- what are people talking about? You know, do they really understand what racism is? Not to say that I understand any better, but I have my own view and I'd like yours. But my thought about racism is, you know, racism... I think a lot of people misunderstand um, racism when they think about it because racism is a destructive behavior, to me, that's built on other destructive behaviors. It's, it, it, the foundation of racism comes from other destructive behaviors that are completely acceptable in our society. You know, there's the, the bit about ostracization. There is um, minimization, um, humiliation of people. There are uh, the situation where people think and believe and act on the impulse or the idea that they are better than others. And they use all of those uh, tools of uh, favoritism. They use other tools that are completely acceptable in the in the corporate world, uh, you know, antagonizing, harassment, you know, subtle things that are acceptable. Unfortunately, I mean, people talk People say they're not, but the bottom line on it is there's no outcry about these things. Those are the same kinds of things that happen um, in racist situations. Uh, And, you know, I just wonder if people understand that, you know, every single time that someone who's been a victim of racism, regardless of what your race is, each time you experience those other accepted destructive behaviors like like the, the ostracization, like the exclusion, like the minimization of your contributions, each and every time they experience those things, it tears that scar off of their view of racism, and they feel victimized again. And to be honest about it, I, as you know, my own indiv- individually, believe it's hard to figure out sometimes whether that person that's subjecting you to, to, to that behavior is being racist or just being just a bad individual. Do you understand what I'm saying?
3: Yeah, I do. And I I think if you ask me what does racism mean, uh, the simple answer is to say you're judging somebody by their looks, by the color of their skin or their ethnic origin. Uh, And it can be either hateful and it can be destructive or it can be more benign than that, but it's just stereotyping. I'll give you an example. It happened to me in the last week. I went into a, a store and I was, I, whatever the product was, I bought there was uh it was like $25 and 19 cents or something. And I gave the guy $25 and I started to reach for a dollar. And he said, Hey, look, I don't do math. I'm not Asian. So 25 bucks is fine. And hmm. I know, I don't hmm. think that he meant I don't like Asian people, hmm. but at the same time it was like, why would you say that? I, I just, I, I didn't, and and shame on me for not calling him on it, I guess. I just, but I thought it was a very odd remark. Now, was that racist or what was it?
2: I don't know what was on his mind, but it (laughs) certainly sounded that way. And this day and time, you certainly can't say those things for that very reason, because people don't know what's on your mind and they can't read it. But, you know, I will tell you this. When I first came to Washington, one of the things that led me to believe what i just mentioned to you about those my my view of racism was the very first job i had in washington um an individual who was very influential at that organization that i went to work for saw me he was no longer there he saw me and he was in front of a group of people and he said he laughed and he said nice to meet you jj the only reason you're here is because you're black oh. ha 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 ha, ha. Oh. okay yeah so what the, the, the... Yeah. But wow. The, the story doesn't end there. Another individual whom I worked with was present at that time and he was still working at this organization and he thought that it was really funny to make quote unquote black jokes um, and using me as the butt of the joke. Now some people may say, may disagree with what I'm about to say. I don't think they were racist. I think that they were just woefully uneducated about. I
3: would say that's that's ignorance, but it's there's something else there too, JJ. That you can't just dismiss that as oh no, they're really not racist. Uh, there's there's something to that. I, I, I we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll, so but, I assume both people that you're talking about both are white, right? Exactly. Okay. I, I would never say that to anybody. Never have. Never would. Under any circumstance. Don't think it's funny. and It would bother me if I heard somebody say that. So I there, I think you're, you're being nicer about so, it than I would be.
2: Back to the incident, your incident at the cash register. The question I, I would ask you then, what would you say to that person if you had another chance to say something to him about that? I'm not, I don't know, did you say anything to him at that time? If you had no, a chance... No, I,
3: I didn't, and I, did, I didn't laugh. I just gave the guy money, and then I was with a friend of mine, and I said, that's a odd thing for him to say. And he said, yeah, it was. Um... You know, again, shame on me, I suppose. I, I, I guess you you pick your fights. I don't know this person at all. Um, there were no yeah. Asians in the store that I know of, uh, so I just let it go. But I've, you know, I, I don't, I don't enjoy. I, it does. Listen, I'm bringing it up, and this happened a week ago, and I'm I'm bringing it up to flag me on this by saying, you know, maybe I should have said, you know, don't make stereotypes like that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it would have done any good. But um, yeah, <laughs> well, it make you know, me feel better.
2: This is 2020, man. And, you know, you have to understand, too, that people are kind of nervous right now because of COVID-19 and a whole lot yeah. of other things that right. are going on. So you probably did the right thing by not testing this person that you don't know. Because who knows what if he would say something or she would say something, he or she would say something like that. Who knows what else they might think or do? Yeah, right. So. Yeah.
3: I did. So <laughs> don't <laughs> open that can of worms. Hey, listen, can we uh, I, I'd like to play uh, some audio if I can I brought to the uh, podcast today. Yeah, this uh, I let me talk a little bit about my daughter. My daughter, um, after she graduated from college, uh, went into the Peace Corps and she was assigned to the Dominican Republic. So she speaks fluent Dominican Spanish. And her first job when she came back from the Peace Corps was to teach at an all girls charter school in the South Bronx in New York and it happens to be in the Dominican area, which is why they put her there, because although the children all speak English, a lot of their parents don't, and she speaks, again, perfect Spanish, Dominican Spanish. So, um, she has had a really tough time since this George Floyd uh, incident, because all of the kids in her class are of color. Um, Uh Nobody can be black or brown. You know, Dominica has got many different uh, skin colors in the in the uh, but I but she actually told me she said well really they're all black in in her class so she asked the kids to talk about their lives or themselves or to do something on video because she's been teaching remotely she's been teaching on zoom for the last I don't know three months or something and this one girl who is 10 years old I want the audience to understand this girl is 10 years old and I would like them to listen to what she what she said on her uh, about two and a half minutes of fame. And I've got permission from her mother who listened to our last podcast to play this on this podcast. Let's hear it.
4: Where Do I Fit In? By Mia Martinez. I love me and America. But America has never loved me. There are people thinking all types of different things about me just based off the color of my skin. I have family that looks just like me and for jogging out of false suspicion, it's like their life didn't matter. For those who get to say all lives matter, they don't have to live in fear of their lives or lives of their family being snatched one night just for being black. We say black lives matter, never said only black lives matter. We know all lives matter. I'm not even sure why there's so much debate on the subject. I mean, come on, we're asking for the bare minimum just to acknowledge that our lives matter too, that we are not disposable. This concept is clearly too much for some. All black lives matter. I believe the good Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I have a dream speech that one day there will be equality. That I can go outside jogging or driving or walking outside with a hoodie on or in my building staircase or reach for my wallet, or sleep in my bed, in my own home, without police killing me. This is not a white versus black issue. This is a everyone versus racist issue. Period. How do I feel? You ask. I will say I love being black. It's dangerous, but it's cool. I feel tired from a battle I have yet to fight. I'm confused. It saddens me to know that the justice system was never designed with black people in mind so the system fails us I feel free because there are no actual chains on us but the chains of systemic racism which keeps us shackled this is why civil unrest marching and protesting is our reality that's the Malcolm X and Black Panther Party in us so where do I fit in you ask? if America doesn't kill me and allows me to grow up I'll let you know from the White House
3: all power to the people wow wow that you got tears in your eyes because I do almost yeah
2: I mean wow so geez man that is in one in some sense that is just so great to hear that coming from a 10 year old a 10 year old sister a little girl who's able to to with that kind of elocution uh dictate what it is or deliver or say what it is she wants to be said but at the same time it's kind of sad because she's 10 you know that last comment about if you know she's able to you know
3: uh, Uh, she said last comment about i'll let you know from the white house it's like good for you yeah
2: but she's saying if she gets there you know
3: (laughs) you know (laughs) That's, well, the, the whole thing is just, um, i just, you know, again, when I was 10, I don't know, I could have put that many words together, so good for her. Absolutely.
2: Thank you for sharing that with us, Chris.
3: I'm proud of it. I'm proud of my daughter for what she's doing. She's trying to make a difference, JJ.
2: She certainly is, and I'm as an African-American, I'm so grateful that she's doing that. I'm JJ Green, and
3: I'm black. I'm Chris Corr, and I'm white. And this is Colors.
0: If you'd like to make a comment and ask a question, email us at colors at WTOP.com.
2: That's it for this episode. Coming up in our next program.
0: For generations, well before your time, we were telling 51% of our nation, we were telling that big, huge chunk of the American population, no. You cannot learn about winning. You cannot learn about losing, which is much more important.
2: Christine Brennan, one of the top journalists in this country. You hear her talking a lot about sports and women. But on our next program, you'll hear her talking about race. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. And as we go, it's important to say thank you to those who've contributed to the show. Karen Hansen, Larry Sindas, Thomas Warren. Lisa Weiner, Dimitri Sotis, Melissa Howell, Hillary Howard, Mike Shikaitis, Liz Anderson, Stephanie Gaines Bryant, Tiffany Arnold, Brennan Hazelton, Kyle Cooper, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Beth Gibbs, and Ellie Rowe. And of course, for the music, Cosmic and Jesse Gallagher. And most of all, thanks to you for listening. And remember, keep talking to each other.
0: This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.
4: Subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever
0: you get your podcasts.